Bro Show presents Doc Doc Goose, an examination of the world of sports science, medicine, and athlete management with Dr. Alice McNamara, Dr. Rod Siegel, and Bill Tate. Doctors, welcome back. How are we? Oh, yeah. Yeah, thanks. I was waiting for Rodney. He's online. Um, no, I'm good, Bill. I hang out for these nights these days. Yeah. Podcasts, it's really keeping me going during lockdown 2.0, I have to yeah. say. You know, by the time this one gets released, we might we might be coming out of lockdown, which would be pretty exciting. No. Back to stage three. Come on. <laughs> we can I hope so. Hope. Jeez. How are you going over there, Don't, Rodney? Look, I'm, I'm actually going pretty well, thanks. Um, and thanks, Alice. I always let you go first. Um, I thought we'd sort of work that flow out but apparently not i went first um, last week so i handed over to you oh okay we'll know for next time you know what we should do we should have a we should have a meeting beforehand and just sort <laughs> this stuff out nah, we, got, <laughs> we like to go idea. on the fly anyway <laughs> hello to everyone who's tuned in again it's a real privilege to get to talk to you yeah and we we had some great feedback from the last episode which was really science heavy and medicine heavy in in terms of our chat with larry uh today we have another esteemed guest so we're, we're backing up the guests here which is exciting we've talked about this one a few times um a very popular member of the vis family somebody who we've been hoping to speak to for ages and of course i'm talking about the captain of the stingers uh Rowie webster Rowie, welcome how are you mate Listen to yeah, the fans. Good. Thanks for having me. I'm there excited is. to be here. <laughs> Are they distanced, do you think? No, 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 no. Oh. They're just out the that's back. Fun. That's more of a crowd than we normally get, so I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> um, how are you, Rowie? Yeah, good. I um, I want to second Max' comment of lockdown 2.0 is very, very challenging this time around, but uh, doing my best to, to stay occupied. Yeah, and you, the, the viewers can't see. We'll try and put a photo up. You've done a great job to get us in the theme here. You're sitting in your um, quiet room at home with your water polo um, suit. Bathers on. Are they, do we just call them <laughs> bathers or do they have a fancy on. name? It's the background and it's very Aussie. I love it. <laughs> they, are, they are just bathers. <laughs> Depends <laughs> what state you're from, togs, swimmers, cozies. Oh, yeah. You know, you could have, put, you could have at least put the hat on. And like covered <laughs> covered your um, headphones over. That would have been that would have been good actually. Next time. Yeah, very good. Lockdown three point oh. No, don't say that. Well, we're going to cover a bit of ground today, Roe. We want to talk. We'll get stuck into a little bit about your background, but we want to talk about some really significant things that have happened through your career, um, and hear hear your thoughts on them as as you're rolling along. Um, and we'll we'll go through. I think we've got about three topics, so we'll get stuck into it now. So, Rowie, let's uh, wind it right back here. Korowa girl, um, obviously from a, a family, a sporting family. you got a, got a, a little bit of talent there. Do you want to tell us a bit about that, first of all? Yeah, so I definitely um, come from well, a big family, first of all, but we were all really active growing up. Um, my grandpa was an elite uh, tennis player and golfer, um, so I very heavily got put in the wrong sport um, from yeah. the from the get go. I could have made a little bit more money potentially, but um, my older siblings were always really active, and I was kind of just like that kid that followed around my siblings. So whatever they did, I got thrown in to mum's taxi or dad's taxi and said, you know, you'll do this, and um, and I loved it. So um, yeah, a fairly competitive family, I would say. Um, I'm definitely the most stubborn. Uh, don't verse me in a game of cards because I'll cheat to win. Um, but yeah, got in through, uh, it got into water polo through high school, um, through my, my sisters and my brother who played, 
Uh, my brother was pretty into AFL, so I did a little bit of that. But um, I knew I was pretty competitive uh, from the get-go when I got told I couldn't play AFL at um, primary school in year six. And that was um, – I got pulled into the, the office of the principal with my dad and um, they said, oh, look, Roe, we can't play AFL anymore at primary school. And my dad said, please don't tell me it's because she's female. Um, and they said, no, nah, it's not because she's female. It's because all the boys are going home and crying to their parents <laughs> that she's too rough. So I think from the get-go my, um, my parents knew that they'd have some sort of uh, direction with sport. Um, and, I've yeah, I tried the game and I loved it. So Corowa, did they have a good um, polo program or were you into it before you went to high school? I actually started when I was in year six. Um, so Larissa, my older sister, and Steph, they both went to Corowa um, and were playing there. And so I kind of went along and tried out and went to all their training sessions. Um, Corowa hadn't won the championship. Uh, I think Lauriston had won 15 years in a row until Team Webster yeah. came along. And Was that Jeanette Gunn um, running that program? Yeah, Lauriston? that was Floss. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was Jeanette Gunn. And, um, and we beat we beat Lauriston, so that was a pretty big rivalry. Yeah. Um, yeah, all three Websters playing in the one game. Oh, but, awesome. yeah, I started when I was in year six. Did you get much pressure from the rowing coaches there? No, Coral wasn't that good at rowing at the time. <laughs> so, um, And I think we clashed with the early morning. So it was the great debate who got up earlier. Uh, you know, we yeah. got up at four, you got up at five, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I always, when I was coaching rowing at the VIS, I always used to see these amazing rowers running around in netball skirts and water polo tops <laughs> and things like that. And I, I, I think we missed the boat there on a few because we had VB as well, who was uh, one of your Very teammates. Very long and strong. Yeah. yeah, yeah my you did though. almost try to convert another water polo player I at did, one stage. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. Yep, that's, that's maybe for another story. time. Yep. Yep. Rowie could have done any sport though, watching her in the gym. But rowing would have been good for you, Rowie. Yeah. <laughs> rowing, you, the fact that you guys are stuck in the one spot is <laughs> too scary. Like that's horrifying. A, you're going backwards and B, that you can't get out of the boat. It's like, non-contact though. You don't have to take anyone out, Rowie. <laughs> yeah, so that's boring. It's <laughs> funny in that. <laughs> well, I'm a funny in that. <laughs> so um, early doors, uh, uh, representation teams, like when, when did it start getting a bit more serious for you? Uh, I think I've been asked this question a lot, like what was the changing point in your career? And that was really early for me. That was when I was 12 um, and I missed out on my first ever state team. And I remember we used to get a letter to say whether you'd made it or not. And I opened my letter. I was in year six. I opened my letter in the Genizano car park after an early morning and it said, you know, commiserations, Rowie, you haven't made it. And my older sister, Steph, she made the state team so I kind of made it a promise to myself that I didn't want to um, have that feeling again of not making it or not being good enough. Um, and that's kind of held me in good stead since since day one. Um, and so I was a really good cheerleader for that tournament. That was in Mullumbimby just outside of Byron Bay. So I used to throw stuff at the other states <laughs> to try and distract them from from the Victorians. But, uh, yeah, that was the definitely the turning point. And moved up through through the system then, and um, ultimately you end up going to the US, didn't you, for for college at one point? When was that? Yeah, so I a few scouts, you know, through the national program and and being in the junior national teams, um, a few scouts kind of made their way out to Australia to try and pick off some of the um, the better athletes. And I kind of sat down with my parents and said. I want to give this a crack. I want to have a really good experience. 
Um, and I want to kind of get away from being the youngest child um, and start my own kind of path and my own name. And so I went to Arizona State for a year, um, which was an incredible experience. I think the system set up so well. So I was really lucky I got a full ride. Um, if anyone's ever been to Arizona, it is the polar opposite of what we have in Australia. Um, you know, you can ride in the back of the ute without a seatbelt. There are guns everywhere. It's um, it's pretty crazy. So, but to be part of an elite program and 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 start to learn how to to train effectively, that was kind of the the point in my career where I said, I think this is what I want to do. And were you straight out of school then? I was, yeah, I was straight out of school. I kind of struggled a little bit because I, I think I'd been babied a fair bit, being the youngest child. Um, you know, all the rules had been broken for me. Everyone was pretty soft on me. So straight out of school in a different country, a pretty foreign um, place. But it was, yeah, it was a good experience for sure. And I, I guess I would um, recommend anyone that has the opportunity to go to college to give it a go for one, two, three or four years. So um, at what point did you go to the World Juniors, Rowie? Was that during that time or before? Um, that was actually just after. So oh, between wow. 05 and 06, I was in college. And then 2007, we won the Junior World Champs. Oh, um, cool. And so we had a team Catapulted. that had, had stayed together from three years bottom age. Oh, so they had kind of created this cool. squad and we went on collectively basically the same team untouched um, all the way up and and ended up playing China for the gold medal and that Chinese team ended up being their Olympic team for the 2008 Beijing Olympics. So oh, wow. we wow. did reasonably well, yeah. Yeah, for, um, yeah it was cool. And China's programs in all sports leading into 2008 were strong. So a lot yeah. of a lot of money was being pushed into them, so we kind of had a good hit out. And I think our the head national coach came over and watched, and and that was our real first taste of success. I think certainly for me to come away with the junior world champs, I was like, this is what it's like to win. Okay, wow. here we go. What yeah. do we need to do to to stay at that podium spot? When was your breakthrough into the into the national team, into the senior national team, Rowie? Yeah, I had I had been in the squad since high school, the AIS squad, um, yeah. on and off. So I'd been on a few tours, but I basically broke in um, 09 world champs um, and my older sister was the last one dropped for that. So I kind of almost felt a little bit guilty making that team, knocking off my older sister, but um, that was that was the foot in the door and I just thought, now's my time, let's grind and, um, you know, just leave everyone else behind and kind of represent Victoria too because – there's only ever been three Victorian females to ever make the Olympic team. Yeah, yeah, mm. and it was a it was a, a team that still had, you know, some some real legends of the you know the gold medal legends involved in it as well. So it must have been something to walk into. Definitely, I think that was something that I'm really um, fortunate to to walk into the team of. You know, we had we had Olympic medalists, um, we had dual Olympians, triple Olympians, and so. I was like, well, this is what it's like to be in a high-performance sport. And it was a real jump, um, the senior team for the junior team. I think that transition these days has um, come a little bit closer. Uh, but certainly back then from juniors to seniors, it, it felt like a different game. Um, and I definitely wasn't as physically ready as I would have liked to be yeah. in that step. Yeah, that's interesting. So was it in terms of your your physical ability to hold yourself in the pool or um, fitness? 
Um, I think that, and I think just technically the girls were, yeah, bigger, stronger, but the yeah. game was just faster. Can't get away um, with anything. Yeah, more risk-taking was involved, you know, and I always remember um, our coach saying, just don't be a passenger. And so that was something that I took um, I took on board very, very early and I thought, you know, I'd rather be the athlete that makes the mistake but that tries it than to just kind of coast up and down the sidelines um, and be a passenger and that. And that was kind of something that I've, I've taken forward. But in saying that, I remember um, I first broke onto the scene and we were going into the world champs in 2009 and our first tour in Russia, the coach actually said, don't shoot, we want to save your shot um, for the world champs. So no goalie has had a good look at it. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, here we go. So I spent the whole tournament barely shooting and I was in the national team to score goals. So um, that was really unique. Mm. Yeah, especially so far out from like the Olympics, for instance, where you're, you know, you, you can't hang on to that secret weapon for exactly three and years. scouting, scouting, and everyone has video analysis now and things like that. But I thought, um, yeah, that was really interesting, an interesting approach. Tell us about the position you play. So I started in the national team as a centre back, so one of the biggest defenders. So for anyone out there that doesn't know water polo, it's like you're trying to defend the person closest to the goal. Um, you're the last line of defence before the the goalkeeper. But I've transitioned significantly into like a right driver. So I get to touch the ball a lot more. Um, I get to call the plays in attack, uh, which is which is what I prefer. I like to be able to communicate um, and kind of rally my troops and, and run the drills and run the plays. And I think that's just a transition. Also, as I've gotten older, I've become better at being able to handle and balance both of those skills. Yeah, right. But I like to be the striker. Yeah. I like to take a shot. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so this, I guess this little... Rodney's smiling. I think he's thinking of basketball. Yeah. Right. I'm like the point guard now, basically. <laughs> uh, now you're talking my language. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. But actually, like you said one thing that I reckon is really important. It's a lesson that like, I've observed a lot of athletes struggle to learn, often for their entire career, is learning to take those risks and, and really not being having no fear of failure. So learning that fairly early on, that could have been quite significant, I reckon, for you. Yeah, and I think, Rod, on that point is I always say, like, start early with the risks. Like, uh, a mistake in the first quarter in a team sport is far less of a mistake than a mistake in the fourth quarter. So go down gambling, play your cards early, see what you can get away with. Like, we play a sport where it's heavily decided on refereeing calls. Um, You know, it's not the fastest from A to B. So I think that you know, be as technical as you can, but also be like cheeky and, and cunning and, and see absolutely what you can get away with and then go from there. Learn the game as it's being played with human error. I love that. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah. And it, it's interesting observationally because, I, yeah, I mean, your sister, Larissa, was she worked at VIS, um, Correct, you know, yeah. in the late 2000 to 2010 sort of era that, that that period of time and so she was a bit of a personality so when you came when you joined the um the institute i guess you know everyone knew straight away who you were because you were little sister sort of thing but you Mm. i almost immediately remember you were you had a had that swagger about yeah she was more cheeky yeah (laughs) and not and in a very polite way but there there is just that little bit of um confidence like shoulders back confidence i suppose and i guess maybe that's 
drawn out of that experience of you know not being a passenger when you're working working into a team as a as a junior essentially yeah totally i think it's um it's it's partly the way i see i see the world i think i've always been someone that like almost thinks second and goes in head first and so and and sometimes there's a huge error in that um you know, making rash decisions, but it's also you're quick to you're quick to react, you're quick to think. So, but I remember um, being a, a junior athlete at the VIS, and I actually regret not utilising the facilities more. I was quite timid. Um, I was overwhelmed by, I guess, the support, and I didn't really know my uh, where I sat within the program and things now. And I just think any athlete that gets the opportunity to have a scholarship at the best institute in the world, in my opinion, um, absolutely take it because I remember thinking, man, I reckon I wasted three good years of scholarship of, of uh, allowing myself to be or holding myself back as not the best athlete I could have been. And so I think it was an attitude change that I needed to be like, don't be scared, let's go. This place is going to build you up and it's it's kept me in good stead ever since. So yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that, you, you get out what you put in, in, in a sense, don't 100%. you? Now, you've always put in so much into our, our place. You're part of the um, the fabric of the place. But um, I guess it's really interesting to see or to hear um, that, that observation of you, you had to you know, make that transition into it. I guess, you know, the, the big thing that leading in that, that block of your career was, you know, you're in the team in 2009 and then a few years later there's, there's the Olympics in London. Um, we saw your medal match there we were lucky to be i was lucky to be there which was bloody amazing i have to say it was one of the, one of the great highlights it was an absolute thriller <laughs> um what was that like um still fairly young there going into that scenario and 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 what did you take from it yeah i guess i remember thinking this is absolutely incredible i came into a team that knew how to win um, and I think that's something that a lot of athletes take for granted very early on is if the, the program is set up in a, in a really strong, unique way and you're constantly winning, you kind of just jump in the mix and, and it keeps going. Um, and Can so, you talk a little bit about the block leading in though? Because I, I sort of have this vague recollection. I was definitely caught up in my own stuff, but I know that you were in and out of Canberra and yeah. there was some stressful situations in terms of selection and things like that. Like you as a young person managed that pretty well. Can you just talk a bit about the prep leading in? Yeah, so we were um, we were in Canberra. Um, obviously, it was my first Olympics. Um, I, I guess the coach was always very honest with us. He would sit us down from the get-go and say, if I was to pick the team now, you're in, you're in, but you're borderline <laughs> or you're out. Yeah. And that was something that I actually – thought was quite intimidating at the start and 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 in hindsight I really respected because you just absolutely knew where you stood you knew what you had to do to get in the team and so I um I was fairly confident from the get-go that I would be a part of the team I had been um playing pretty well scoring a lot of goals but we had some some struggles in terms of we had um you know dual Olympians get dropped from that squad and so that was really stressful to see thinking like this this path isn't promised no. um, and it doesn't matter what you've done in the in the past yeah. it absolutely matters what is now and I remember we got whooping cough and we ruined the swimmers training <laughs> camp and <laughs> we were in the altitude house we did a lot of altitude training leading in 
we had a we got absolutely flogged in Italy pre um, entering the Olympic Village, and I thought we're never going to be able to sustain this. Um, you know, we were worried about fatigue levels and things like that. And then we get to the Olympics, and everything just kind of falls into place. We come up against the United States um, in the semi-final, but prior to that semi-final game against the best team in the world. Um, we went into a penalty shootout with China and I was actually the athlete that missed the penalty in the penalty shootout. So we were almost, I had to shoot first because um, I was the number one penalty taker in the team and I missed the penalty and I was thinking, what happens if we have to go round again? Because that's what happens in in yeah. um, in sport. If, you, if you're even, you have to go round again and I thought, I wonder what I would have been like if we had have gone around again and that pressure that you feel and like what shot do you take and all that. So there was a lot of, I guess, anxiety and relief coming out of that, that game, that crossover game. And then we hit the U S in the, in the semi and we took them to overtime. They were the best team in the world. We had had a rivalry like no other leading in the last three years prior to that London game. And we were six games apiece. Um, they had won six against us. Um, and we had won six against them and then we took them to overtime and they beat us. And so, you know, um, awesome. it was, it was, it was tough, but I think the thing that I took out of London compared to Rio was I was just young and I felt free and the load was just for me to play. Mm. I just had to show up and be a, a junior athlete and play my best and then, you know, flip the coin on the other side to Rio was vice captain and, and it's just so much a, a bigger job overall mm-hmm. um, to coordinate. So, you know, some of the, some of the wily old characters in our place that, that have watched you, Rowie, will say they, they noticed a change in you from that first cycle to the second cycle in your um, – I'll let you talk to it, but in, it, it sort of seemed to be um, – yeah, almost like you've been riding a wave up until that point and, and you realised, I, I can start paddling now and catch the next wave almost. Um, did you, did you were you did aware she, of that at the time? Or did she like preempt that this next four years was going to be, uh, you know, a, a next mature step? Like yeah. I feel like my observation was that she, yeah, she stepped up in training. Um, she started to really seek out as much advice as she could because she sort of understood that she'd have a lot on her shoulders in the next four years. Yeah, what, what, what was yeah. it like, Rowie? I think it was – I think it's actually a really good blend of both. Um, I didn't actually understand the process of how to lead a team. Um, I, was, I was happy to be, you know, a young almost um, – you know, a young good player um, – that just get, gets to cool down and leave and then I don't have to be a part of any senior meetings. And then, um, you know, some of the best of the best and my heroes retired and I was like, oh, man, who's there to guide this team? And I thought, okay, Rowie, it's up to you. And I also saw the best of the best at the Olympics in across all sports and I thought, I don't want to just be part of the best team. I want to be the best player in the world that's part of the best team in the world. And so I think that, aggression and that kind of that fuel was started and ignited by my surroundings at the Olympics. And then I was like, here I go, let's do this. And so the shift physically 
had to change mm. to be to be better and and also and also um, I had to learn really quickly um, how to how to try and be an effective leader, um, which at the start was 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 really tough. It's still tough, but yeah, it's always going to be chaotic. Tough. And we're going to ask you about leadership and and your approach to that um, a little later on. Tell, can you tell us, you know, from a mechanical sort of physical point of view, what, what did you change in your in your approach in that second cycle? To uh, get I definitely. Yeah, I definitely understood the philosophy of if you're fitter and faster and stronger, you've got more time to make decisions. Yeah. Um, and, and so that was something that I'm naturally not a great swimmer. Like I'm 5'10", <laughs> I'm, I'm 80 kilos, um, I'm like a bathtub, I'm stiff as a board, I'm like Tin Man. <laughs> so if you can imagine Tin Man swimming up and down the pool, it's not pretty. Um, so I knew that I couldn't just be that junior player that relied on their shot because a shot, you know, a goal scoring opportunity or a shot only lasts you so long and your shoulders get worn out and things like that. So I thought I can't just be one dimensional. Um, and so I kind of went away and thought, okay, if I can physically wear out athletes that I'm versing, then I can, I can have a jump on them. Also, I just worked on my decision-making. So I asked a lot of questions. I looked at a lot of footage and I thought if I can if I can be one step ahead of them in terms of a decision, then that buys me a second. And then from there, I just started building this platform of what do I need to do? Who do I need to talk to? Um, and I've kind of, yeah, it's just been a process. And, and each year I say, let's get better. Let's get faster. Let's get stronger. Jono is probably sick of me saying, Jono, can we do this and can we do that? And and working with the physios and say, where are my downfalls um, and what do I need to do? But I think physically um, and strategically, I had to get better to be one of the best. So just for the listeners out there, Jono being your strength and conditioning coach. Yeah. Shout out to Jono, a.k.a. Yeah, Wilson. No. <laughs> always poking his head up over the side of the uh, <laughs> of the partitions of the VIS. But um, I'm curious to hear, Roe, like how how did you come up about all these realisations? Were these things that you sort of just came to you? Were you having conversations with coaches or other players that were giving you advice? Yeah, how, how did you sort of draw upon these yeah, conclusions that you made? Yeah, definitely um, from one of my Victorian coaches, Spindles, who – had worked with me, with me from the very beginning um, and he had seen me kind of progress as a junior. And I'd, I I guess the luxury I had being from a small water polo state was I could come back from tour and I, and I would say, Spindles, I need to work on this, this and this. And then it was only me that was at training. And so basically we designed a program specifically around me. So I was like the spoiled child and all the New South Wales girls would go back, you know, the 12 of them would go back and have to fight for, I want to do this and I want to do that. And so we're in a really um, privileged position. And so I guess I'm not really answering your question, Rod, but I think I kind of sat down and said, I want to be as good as a guy. So let's, let's change the way I move. And so I seeked out a guy's coach, um, a, a Montenegrin coach. And I said, how do the boys move? Teach me how they move. And so we kind of started doing from there, okay, no girl can do this shot. Why can't they do this shot? Is it because we haven't taught them how to do it or it's because we physically can't do it? And they were like, oh, we've never thought of it. All right, well, let's mm. let's try that. And so just functionally working out for a female, 
can we do this shot? Um, but also seeking advice from the people around the VAS, Harry, you know, input, the physios mm-hmm. input. I mean, I, I spoke a lot to, to Bill in recent times um, about it all, but always trying to get better. I think pressure is privilege um, and just making sure mm-hmm. that you're never happy necessarily with um, yeah. where you're you're always super engaged. Just my observation was that you're always like curious about what other athletes were doing around the gym and like, you know, how you could join in um, different sessions with different people, particularly when you were, you know, in your domestic time, maybe in Victoria on your own and you're very opportunistic and very curious about the other sports. Yeah, totally. Because you can learn so much from, from the others. Like I think that feeling of pain and that threshold of just I don't think I can – do any more and then you see you know Al coming into the heat tent and I'm like I'm on a bike and then she'll go on the treadmill and start running on the treadmill in the heat tent at 40 degrees I'm thinking Royce like like let's go and so you know you do that or you say hey like can I work out with you today or a boxing session or something and I think all those little things those one percenters add up to so much around the place it seems really self-driven you know, yeah, like you're, you're, right, you're finding right. these opportunities and you may not know the answers, but you, you're sort of coming up with the questions and then getting help from the people around you to help solve those. I think there's yeah, a monster cool. inside me. It <laughs> <laughs> just wants to be the best. Like I think, <laughs> yeah, it, it's like. It's not afraid to go in head bl- first to a tackle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And who wants a bloody desk job? No offense, guys, but. <laughs> well, I think, you know, you talked earlier to your. Um, early exposure to competitiveness and I think some athletes channel their competitiveness in aggression in some of the wrong ways and and you've seems like what you're describing there is you decided to channel your competitiveness into seeking out boundaries and seeing why they were why they were boundaries like has anyone tried to do this why not is it an actual physical thing that's fascinating I think really fascinating Mm. and I also think I don't have the the best capabilities of, you know, I'm not VB and I've got a six foot three arm span or I'm six foot tall. Like I think it's, I I think that's something that recently is certainly in women's water polo, the top four or five players in the world are not your on paper best players in the world. And I think that just is at the end of the day, hard work can't be undone and you can't, you can't lie about confidence. I think that has to come from the work that you do, prior and I think a lot of athletes can be great and inconsistent and it's purely just based on the fact that they potentially haven't done the work time and time again. Wow. (laughs) Awesome, Rowie. All right. We might take a pause there for a moment and move into our next session, but that's been really, really enlightening. So, Rowie, we're back from um, your second Olympics at Rio and into the new cycle. Um, Captain by then? Yeah, captain, yeah. Yeah, which is a, a big responsibility and, and one obviously from the way you've been talking that you took, you know, very seriously and we'll talk about the leadership. But um, in, in 2018, I think, there was, there was a, bit of a, a bit of a hiccup in the prep from a physical point of view, probably your first sort of may, major longish term um, hiccup from an injury that, that sort of put a pause on where things were up to but ultimately maybe also took you forward. Do you want to tell us a bit about the injury and then and then how you how you went about addressing it? Yeah, absolutely. I'll um I I'd been pretty lucky up until that point. Like I had had some you know some back niggles and and some shoulder problems, just very um 
average water polo injuries. And I was, we were at a training camp in Perth against um, Italy and it was our first one with this new coach. So um, our Olympic coach had left and um, we had had a bit of time without a head coach and we had finally got a head coach and I was captain and I thought, okay, here we go. Let's go. First tournament of the season, um, come out firing. And I'd use the summer to get myself ready. And I, um, I remember getting off the plane and we did a light session and then the next morning I just had this awful feeling in my foot and I said, something's not wrong, something's not right with my foot to the physio. Um, and they were like, oh, okay, we'll check it out, we'll check it out. And then it started to progress and it started to progress and we spoke to the, the doctor and she said, I think we should get an MRI on your back. I think it's coming from your back. And so we basically got an MRI um, on my back and I had, um, a pars defect either side. So L4, L5. So my lumbar section was basically had little stress fractures that probably won't heal. Um, and I had bulging discs. And so I'd gone from doing, you know, 14 or 15 sessions a week, um, ready to play in a, in a tournament versus Italy to being sent back on the plane on my own and having epidurals and, and things like that, some facet injections. And I kind of didn't really understand what was going on um, and what was a, you know, supposed six-week injury turned into about a nine-month injury. And you, you um, were... So it's pretty scary. You were flying going into that as well, weren't you? My recollection. Yeah, I was probably the fittest I'd ever been. Really, it was just folding over my game as a, as a leader. I was getting comfortable with, with that role um, and also I had made another step into just being fit, being strong, being healthy. Um, I was ready to go, really motivated, and it just kind of halted me in my tracks. Um, and so I went to Sydney to try and rehab because I was living there at the time. I didn't have much support. I tried that for a little bit and I ended up just saying, fly me back to the VIS, please. I need to get home. I need to be near the physios that I trust um, and so I went from, yeah, being captain of the national team to walking in the VIS pool for 20 minutes along a black line. And that's all I was allowed to do. Yeah, it was, it was, I remember it vividly because, um, it was, it was right just after I'd started in my new role, I think. And so we, I'd started having a bit to do with you aside from doing the odd boxing session and getting beaten up by you, um, <laughs> holding the pads. And I just remember you, you just seemed like you were everything in, in the world was falling into place for you and, and you, you just it was just flex city basically and <laughs> and um, yeah we got the call about the about the injury um, and it, it just seemed like it came out of the blue but I guess Alice like some, something like that it must come yeah from somewhere right yeah and you know what I'm actually hearing the intricate details of the injury for the first time um which I'm glad we haven't talked about before the podcast but certainly with path defects often that often they do sneak up on it on athletes they're very common in extension sports so mm. cricket um yeah bowling in particular almost every you know good cricketers had one going through adolescence where you extend backwards and there is a stress on the bones as they uh, on the the um, facets behind the spine and um, I guess you may not have had any warning and particularly then sitting on a plane where I guess we all know from travel that you always get off the plane quite stiff because you're sitting in a big tin can that vibrates basically across the sky and you have these micro vibrations and sitting down for that 
long time you have a, a slumped lumbar posture and getting off the plane often you get stiff and, stiff and sore. So I can't tell what broke the camel's back but um, certainly I guess going from no warning to a big injury would be a really big shock. Um, it's really ha- sad to hear that. Just putting a bathtub in a tin can doesn't sound good. <laughs> um, but it's, it's funny, like, you know, this will be far less technical than what Mac just got into, but we do see that kind of often. Like, you know, I've worked with athletes, they're absolutely flying. And as Bill said, it's flex city and you're just rubbing your hands together, <laughs> waiting for the competition so that you can express that. And, you know, again, a, a phrase that Bill uses a fair bit, you know, when you're on the bleeding edge, that's sometimes... What, what you sort of get, you know, like you don't get that good unless you're right near the line. And, mm. and sometimes you, you, act, you know, unfortunately you sort of have to cross that line. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think there's been um, a constant um, or a consistent injury um, stoppage with me is every time I'm right there and I'm fit and I'm lean and I'm, you know, I want to push the boundaries, go, go, go. It just seems to give way. And I think something that was quite, um, I guess, intimidating was I just didn't know much about this injury yeah. like because it was really different to water polo injuries. Yeah. And, you know, if it's a shoulder, we know it happens. If yeah. it's broken fingers, we just know it's part of our game. But this was really unique and they'd never seen it in a water polo player. So right. I was kind of the, the crash dummy in it. And I remember Fee, one of the rowers, had yeah. a really bad back. And I remember telling her, Fee, I feel like I'm standing on a hot plate. Like my nerves are just out of control. Um, and I went to the physio and Eb said to me, oh, well, I know that it's a nerve somewhere is getting stuck between your neck and your foot. I just don't know where it is. <laughs> and so yeah. we just it was just trial and error. And um, I, I remember having some really in-depth conversations with Fee because she had a similar back injury and we were going down the path of seriously whether I retire whether I have back surgery or whether we just ride it out. And it was pretty daunting um, to hear, the, you know, the R word come up across your screen yeah. and you're like, hang on a minute. I've, you know, I'm I, three minutes ago I was brilliant yeah. and now I'm, I'm halted and now you're talking about retirement. Like this just yeah. doesn't make sense. And you can't escape yeah, it, it back, scary. can you? I mean, it's... It's, it's not like you can forget about a foot or a wrist. It's there all the time. You can't sit. You can't sleep. Every time you go to the gym, you've got to be really careful. You can't sit on a bike without it hurting. It's really, really tricky to forget about the sore back and get on with things. Yeah, and just the, the, like the, the acute referral pain that yeah. turned into almost chronic. Like it's, you know, it's something that you almost just accept, oh, here we go today, the nerve pain is this. And I guess the... The silver lining is the, the protocols that came after that of travel and athletes. You know, what we do now is mm. based upon me getting injured. So I guess there is a, a silver lining there for the program, but, you know, never in my wildest dreams did I want to be the test dummy for that. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned Fee earlier because as you were talking, at that time I was actually working really closely with Fee and you were sort of going on about it and I'm thinking, I was thinking of Fee and then you, you mentioned her. So, yeah. It was really tough time for both of you guys around then. I remember she as she was working at the VIS and she said, have you tried standing like a teapot? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you are pulling my leg literally. And she's like, no, no, try standing like a teapot. And so I would be at work standing like a teapot and it took some load off the back. God knows <laughs> what, what it was doing, but 
That was Rodney's advice to Fee. Yeah. <laughs> no, but quite seriously about your advisors, I, I, you never want an injury, but I've only had good experiences with being injured at VIS. So who did you work with and what did you learn and how did they manage you through it? Yeah, so um, I obviously um, worked a lot with Wendy, so yeah. I, I, I had a huge understanding of my own body and I think that's the really top athletes that you have to know how your body actually works and just the fundamentals behind it and, and what's good and what's bad and, and where you pull a little bit extra from and where you can release a little bit extra from and kind of cheat the system a little bit. Um, yeah, so for so the listeners up. who will know Wendy Braben, who was mm. one of the great physiotherapists mm. from the VIS, yeah, who sadly what, is no longer with us. One but of the pioneering all, um, sports physiotherapists in Australia, realistically. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm, gl- I'm really was, glad she was influential, yeah. Yeah, she was influential and she knew backs through gymnastics and softball. She knew rotation sports and so her kind of understudy, Kate, um, yeah. McGilbray looked after me heavily and, and kind of took on that role that Wendy would have played and and obviously um, Ebony, Ebony Rio yeah. as well. So Ebs and I just knuckled down. I think you have to have trust in your medical team and that was the whole reason why I decided to come home was I knew that the VAS was the place to, to rehab and we could take it really slow. It was a closed environment. No one was watching us, what we did. And so we just kind of built myself up from from literally ground zero. But it was – I know it would have been a, a period of anxiety for you. And I remember having a few of those sort of it's all good kind of chats. But I, my recollection it so of it is that <laughs> – Yeah, but my recollection of it was that you just tried to – you mapped a course and approach and, and it was just very – you know, you see people ride the roller coaster through, you know, tough times. Uh, it's getting better. It's getting better. Oh my God, I've had a setback. It, that, that wasn't my impression of you because it, it wasn't just a linear improvement. There was a couple of step backs, and but it just seemed like you had that same um, workmanlike approach to to. Well, I've just got to do this and this and this. And th- that attitude must have held you in good stead. Totally, I think the people around me, like yourself and and everyone at the VAS you allow us to be on the train kind of like, I think once we get back on the train tracks, you know, your direction, you map it out, you plan it and and you're honest and you say, well, we're going to try stuff. And if I remember Ebony telling me, if we don't pull up sore from this, we haven't pushed the boundaries enough. And so be prepared, almost be prepared from the get go. And I think that's something that athletes have to learn, like to trust and also understand that you're going to push boundaries and you're going to take three forward and two back and that's part of the part of the process and i think once you once you understand that and have your goals and and be honest um, i think you you're going to be all right and so i knew that it was just something i had to almost endure and i'm i'm glad um, i'm glad i did because i think i'm more resilient and more responsive now I think than we, ever i think we could bottle that that last little statement up for and give that to any young athlete that gets injured is you're 100 right there's it's risk it's there's no guarantees the only thing is that is certain is if you don't stick the course you're probably not going to get anywhere with it and you know accept the backward steps and and don't get too excited on all the forward ones yeah but full credit to you too Rowie, because i remember you were supporting a couple of other athletes who were also rehabbing at the time and you were like kind of queen rehab so <laughs> no you were still managing to lead and keeping like a, a pretty brave face on during during your uh, management so well done 
Yeah, thanks. Yeah, she was Captain VIS, that's for sure. That's, that's for <laughs> I sure. pitched a tent and Emery was like, you need to take that tent down. It's <laughs> the regular. When, yeah. when did you rejoin the team? Like how how close, uh, my recollection is a little sketchy, but I reckon I reckon we thought it was good, but it was still, there was it was like that. There's no guarantees when you went back into the team. Mm. Uh, I remember I missed the first three tournaments of the year and there's only four. Um, and so, and the fourth one was a world cup. And so I went overseas heavily underdone in terms of any international training. Um, I remember being in the VIS actually, and I was watching a tournament and I was doing, um, occlusion, the occlusion cuffs on my legs. And I was, I just, if you want to see the devil in me, you put occlusion cuffs on me. (laughs) And Jono oh thought God. he was doing the right thing by bringing out the laptop so I could watch the girls play America in New Zealand. And I was doing step-ups and I remember a tear just ran down my face. I didn't say a word. A tear just ran down my face. I thought, Jono, this is absolute hell. Close the bloody laptop. We can't watch. <laughs> I've got to just do my thing. So I joined the team. You said you um, joined the team underdone in, in water polo but certainly not physically underdone. Oh, I think um, – I certainly had done the work, but I didn't feel like I had done the game work. All these girls had played um, 24 international games plus all the training games. And I was like, I haven't, I haven't played one this whole year. It's been seven and a half months. I'm the captain. People are going to think I'm going to come back and be just as good as I was when I left. Like I had put pressure on myself. Um, And I remember the physio on tour had the stop watch out and he was like you get three minutes this quarter rowie and mm. I'd have to swim out do a, a live change and then get out and get dressed and then you know the next day see how we pull up do all the measurements do all the um the protocol that had been written down and then go again okay get next game you get three and a half minutes and um and then I got to world cup so I was overseas with the girls for I think three weeks prior to world cup and world cup was six games in six days so Boy, did I feel like I had been hit by a bus <laughs> after game six. But we won the bronze medal, um, so mm-hmm. pretty happy. But it was a very, very steep load. My TSI or whatever it is um, for injury was what, what is it, Rod? the chart. TSP or? TSP, training yeah. stress balance. <laughs> yeah. Mine was like I way don't know what the I might stand for. Yeah, index. It could be an index, Rod. You should know yeah, that. Inf- I was going to say infection. <laughs> you ended up playing pretty well though, Rowie, didn't you? Mm, yeah, I came out and I actually, I pleasantly surprised myself. So I think it's that thing of like, you do the work, you know you've done the work. The game helps you out a little bit. Yeah. I, I, that's what I think. So I think, um, again, you can't fake confidence. So we just had to make sure that I had done as much as I could back back home um, and rejoin the team. And I guess team sports is, is great. What, you know, it's that pack mentality. Once yeah. you get on board, it's like, let's go, let's fight. Um, I knew you'd yeah. done well because Jono was flexing. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Walking around with his chest pumped out. And but was it like, because I know it's really tough when you're injured, you always think you're so far away from it when you are going through the rehab and you think, I'll never feel the same again. I'm, I'll never be as fit or strong. But then it sounds like when you got on the, when you got on the course, it was when, when you got in the pool, what's the word? Yeah, yeah, in the pool. In the pool, when you got in the pool, almost one little thing gives you a bit of confidence and then you realise that actually you're not too far away at all. 
Mm, that's true. I actually remember sitting down and saying, okay, what do I want to achieve for the first week of tour with the girls? Oh, awesome. And I thought, I thought if I can just make all my passes spot on, like to be honest, shooting, who cares, whatever, I don't care. If I can nail all my passes, that will give me confidence. And I'll see that look in my teammates eye that I've done them the respect that they deserve. And so from there, I was like, okay, build on that. Then week two, I was like, Rowie, let's start pushing your decision-making. And so the decision-making, so I almost just like started building the foundations of what do you need? I broke the game down because when you're in your, your prime or your peak, you don't even break the game down. It's just so natural. Yeah, um, the, the play just flows. Yeah. just flows. You don't think about how you shoot cause you just do it. It's just so programmed. Yeah. But your first step was I'm going to step into the team and I'm going to mm. work. I'm going to, I'm going to make the team look good. I'm going to – so, yeah, that's a, a really intelligent way to go oh, about it. Hugely it shows, emotionally it shows a lot of emotional sadness. That is exactly yeah. what I thought. Being able to come in and go, you know what, I want to be – because you expressed, you know, I, 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 I'm the captain, I, I feel the pressure, but actually I'm just mm. going to get my passes right first. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It must, it must have been that – it's like lowering the eyes, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And it's just, it's just absolutely having the ability to be okay with locking in on one thing. Mm. And I think as a captain, you often can't, you know, you have to direct and you have to do this and you have to do that. But I think taking a step back and just, and just saying, and I I spoke to the girls and I said, I'm not going to have all the answers. Like you can come to me and I'll try and work them out, but I definitely am trying to find my feet. So I was pretty, pretty open with them too. And I guess that's, that's the great thing about a team sport. Like you get the right athletes around you and, and they accept that for, for what it is. Yeah. And look, we're going to talk about leadership in a moment, but just to to um, to round that off, I guess since since making it back into the team, it's been a it's been a solid um, prep leading into hopefully the 2021 games for the Stingers, hasn't it? It's been you know quite an encouraging role. Yeah, definitely. Look, we've had our ups and downs. I mean, in this last cycle, we've gone from the Australian team's gone from having the same coach for three Olympic cycles to two coaches in less than one Olympic cycle. So there definitely has been some, some ups and downs and, and, and finding my feet within that role of trying to, you know, being almost the, the connector of the hourglass and whatnot. We can get into that a little bit later, but mm. um, we were, we were tracking really, really well. And so it's, it's obviously disappointing with, with COVID um, you know, we're the only team to beat the United States in the last mm. four years um, and we beat them here on home soil. So there's definitely positives, but any team that rests on one win against the best team in the world mm. has another thing coming <laughs> for them. So we just need to take it uh, one step at a time. But working on us, I think, was the focus of the last little bit. Yeah, I don't I don't have any concerns that you'll be resting on your laurels, uh, <laughs> Rowie, that's for sure. We'll go down gambling. All right. So you mentioned, Rowie, before that um, – the last period of time, there's been a um, a changeover in the in the coaching structure at a national team level. There's been a couple of changes, and through that, I guess you've been the um, the captain, you know, the consistent um, marker point. I guess through that period of time, and it's something that we've discussed a little bit. And the nature of you know managing a team, um, which I guess many of our audience are going to be rowers and it's a different kind of scenario, a team sport, even though rowing is such a team sport, it's a different type of team. Um, I always found it fascinating hearing your reflections on how to try different ways of, of pulling it together. Can you talk a little bit about the, 
the approaches you've taken to adapting your leadership under different environments? Yeah, I think um, the first thing that I guess I, I needed to understand was what type of a leader am I or naturally am I? Um, and I'm kind of lead from the front, um, work really, really hard and, and hope that that's a, a nice guide for other athletes to, to come in and follow. And so I think my work ethic was always something that kind of sh- shone um, and, and, and everyone could see that, but then you can't just rely on work ethic. And so I, I really took to yourself. Um, I, I looked to the Vixens a lot. Um, so I went along to some of the Vixens training and, and with the changing of the coach, um, you know, I went from having an Australian coach to, to knowing exactly how he functions to a brand new coach that was from Greece. So culturally we had a lot of different things um, or like touch points that we didn't necessarily naturally as females agree with. And then I just felt like I got on top of that coach. Um, and after the world cup, um, his contract was, was no longer renewed. And, and so we jumped into another, another um, Eastern European coach. And so I, I definitely wanted to stay, I guess, together as a team and united as a team and, and allow the coach to come in and make their mark and make the changes, but not so much that we collectively changed as a group. Mm. Um, I think there were a few things that culturally we had worked really hard on and we were going to stand strong on. And it was my, almost like my job to guide the new coach into that, into that role. Like this is our, these are our non-negotiables as players um, we'll yeah. absolutely meet you halfway um, and you have to meet us halfway. And so I looked at the Vixens um, set up and I admire their setup um, and their relationship between their leaders and their coach. And so I worked a little bit with them and, and, and just watch how they do things and, and learn. And, and, and I kind of view my role as captain as the middle of the hourglass so yeah. you've got the, the coaching staff at the top, you've got all the athletes at the bottom um, and I fall somewhere in the middle and, and the, the, the better I can open up that, that um, funnel and have the athletes actively going to the coaches and the coaches actively going to the players, I feel like my job is a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, and so obviously responsibility does fall on me um, as the middle of the hourglass and decisions have to be made. Um, and I have a great relationship with the coaches where they do seek advice from me. So I'm in a pretty lucky position, but also, um, you know, know when to have those tough conversations and when to pull back. Um, and that sometimes can get muddled as well because some of your best friends are in, are in that bottom of the hourglass. Um, and you have to make really tough decisions that a friend wouldn't necessarily make, but a captain has to make. Yeah. And how, how have you found the change? You know, you're still a very young lady, Rowie, but you're, you know, one of the more mature players in your team. Um, how have <laughs> you found you that with, with having young, you know, because <laughs> some of the younger athletes are, are almost a generation separated now. Do, how, do you, how do you approach that from a, um, from a teammate and leader point of view, I suppose? Yeah, it's a it's a daily juggle. I think um, I sometimes get it wrong. You know, I'll come in what I you know. Some I, I used to think, oh, the f- philosophy of just behave like 
captains in the past behaved towards you. But sometimes that mentality is old school, you know, and so I've tried to take out what I've absolutely loved of leaders that I've been under um, and, and, and modified the things that I didn't necessarily think were effective. But I think the one thing that I've learned is you're never completely right and also delegate. Like I know that I'm not great at some of the things that a leader needs to be great at. And so we put in a leadership team around me um, to help me out. And so I just go to them and I say, look, this is, this is your cup of tea. Can you try and approach this like this? And I think spreading the load and allowing athletes to have the opportunity to come to more than just one person is a really good way of looking at it because, you know, 90% of the team might feel really comfortable coming to talk to me, but if 10% don't, then we've got a, a 10% weakness in our chain and you can't have a 10% weakness. So let's find a way for athletes to feel comfortable approaching, you know, some seriously tough topics. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that bit about learning how to coach the coach. <laughs> That's really <laughs> actually really, it's not only just in sport to, um, oh, certainly in hospital medicine that often there was like, if you were a registrar, you'd often have to train the consultant, you know, just to, because there's the middle person that often does a lot of work on the ground um, and the guy at the top's often got a couple of priorities that you, the middle person doesn't know about but um, the middle person's the one that understands what the juniors are doing so that middle person really has to sort of orchestrate both sides to work together. I love the hourglass. I think that's a really clever way of, of um, thinking about it because you're exactly right. You have to understand what's happening at the top and the bottom and if you can get the flow going, everyone works better. Sure, yeah. I think uh, one of the interesting things, Roe, is people that don't uh, aren't involved maybe in elite sport would, you know, the you see you see teams compete and you think that's what sport is, but ninety five percent of sport is training to get totally. to that point. And the way a coach, the the directive way a coach might operate in a in a um, in a competition environment might be necessary because of the time limitations. You've spoken about that in your sport because communication is difficult. You're underwater half the time, right? Mm -hmm. So the coach has to have a more directive role in, in a sense in that space. But having that ability to be able to know, um, have trusted leaders that, that they, that they utilize to problem solve in training all the time and then leave them to make good decisions in the, field of competition that's the that's the gold medal space for a coach I would have thought yeah totally I think um Bill the the trust and the the um the platforms that are built for that game day are built long before getting to game day you know it's it's being able to have the coach relay something to you and then you going out to implement it to the girls and I think at the end of the day um with big crowds in a in a team sport with a lot of moving parts half the time you can't hear the messages from the coach anyway. And so I think the captain and the coach have to have a great relationship where the, the coach almost has to trust the captain's decisions going forward. And also the game is played at a different eye line or an eye level. And so often I'll say, what are you seeing up there? Cause this is completely different to down here. Yeah, right. And then, and then we'll, we'll have a discussion. I think that comes from being honest and not always agreeing, yeah. you know, I think having the, the confidence really and the vulnerability to kind of say like, we absolutely disagree on this 
and, and we're going to have to go back to the, the video and, and analyse it play by play. Yeah, but I guess what you've done there is you've made it easy for for anyone to admit that or to let go of their position because you're you're saying from my perspective it's different. You're readily identifying that, you know, and it's easy in water polo because you're two metres lower and mm. looking at it from an entirely different point of view. But I guess that can apply to any circumstance, can't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but, I mean... Yeah, that bird's eye view, I, I guess it must be really challenging in water polo because you, you can't see the aerial shot. Um, you obviously get pretty experienced at sort of reading the play, but um, yeah, trusting that the coach has got that overall view, I guess that goes without saying, but then to be able to challenge them on it um, because they don't, that yeah, like you say, Bill, because they haven't got the, the, the view on the ground, um, maybe it's, it looks easier to orchestrate from two metres up, but maybe there are different challenges on the ground. It's just really important to make sure the communication's there. Yeah, and I think the trust, and I think that, and that comes from from training as well, and the conversations that you have behind closed doors, because it's a huge thing for a coach to be able to say, "Oh, okay, yeah, all right, let's do it your way," um, and 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 an athlete leading the group saying, "Okay, yeah, let's do it your way," and I think it's a little bit of give and a little bit of take, and and one of the things that we're we're going to come up against is we've got a coach who's a phenomenal coach, but has never coached an Olympic Games, so in terms of pressure and, and things like that, like what, what vulnerabilities are going to show out between us um, as players, between the coaching staff and between the athletes and the coaching staff. So a really interesting time coming up. And I think, again, if you don't, if you don't ask the hard questions now, then it, it really shows out in, in the worst times in the middle of a game. Yeah. So like, um, I guess, how are you going to go about that leading in, Rowie? Because you, you've seen it coming so I guess yeah like painting the picture before you get there about you know what kind of decision making under pressure that you're going to take and the coach is going to take just so nothing's sort of unseen before you get there how, how are you going about it? Yeah it's tough I think um, I, I think the coach that we've got now is, is really um, intelligent in terms of knowing his emotions and knowing his limits and also being able to delegate but We've got um, two athletes in the pool, myself and um, and Bron Knox, who's a triple Olympian, who are going to be the most experienced people at the Olympic Games, coaching staff or players. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have to we have to respect that, and we also have to work out ways to to fast track experience, almost, yeah. um, which, as we all know, at an Olympic Games is is challenging in itself. Yeah. yeah, and, and cool. probably not that uncommon. It's funny as you reflect it, you know, I remember in London I coached a crew that had been to collectively three Olympics and I'd never been to an Olympics at that point, but through the preparation of training and, and covering all those bases ahead of time, you know, it was just like a, it was just like a normal tournament, normal competition. But that's, right. a, that's just a, strategy, a collaboration. Yeah. yeah, but it's a, it's a strategy you start yeah. a long time out and it doesn't, doesn't yeah, happen. Sure. It's not a decision you make in the uh, pre-departure yeah. camp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you hope. So, Roe, before we get some uh, key takeaways, particularly from the docs, um, it goes without saying, obviously, we're in the unprecedented times of COVID. Um, you're lockdown in lockdown Melbourne um, but I think you're going to be here for a couple of months anyway before before the team reassembles um, how are you managing yourself at the moment and, and how how you're tracking with things yeah good I think the um, the first lockdown that was completely 
just I was just not prepared. Like we were we were going to the Olympics, you know, in three yeah. months' time, and we were ready to go and and to come home. And I was like, oh, this is great. I get to spend some time with with my friends and family and, and live in Melbourne for a few weeks before we, we head off overseas. And then we were actually in Dubai trying to get to um, Italy. So I am so thankful our doc pulled the pin on Italy um, because we <laughs> would have been imagine? stuck there for a very long time. So <laughs> we, we would we not have let you back hours in. in Dubai. <laughs> I won an arm wrestle in the silk markets and then <laughs> we, we returned home. So um that was that was a great story. I got in trouble for that from the TikTok, but yeah, <laughs> why not? Um, but I I just decided to I actually the first time round I decided to to give the watt bike a crack, and I thought this is going to keep me occupied. And so just again, like I've always done, I just set myself targets. And I um, you know, one day I was bored and I said, oh, Rowie, like I want you to ride 100k on the watt bike. And so I just I just did it. Um, but this time around. I've kind of let myself um, feel things a little bit more and understanding that we were actually meant to be the Olympics you know, right now. Um, things start to pop up on your, your news feed that, you know, four years ago yeah. you were at the Olympics and, you know, we were we potentially should have been competing for a medal and things like that. But I just decided if I can get out of this Victorian lockdown um, sane <laughs> um, without spending my money on all the Lego in the world <laughs> and also and also just doing things for myself and working on the things that I might not often get too much time to actually slow down and do then that's a real positive so um but yeah this one seems a little bit a little bit harder than the first one but I'm still in the pool and I'm so grateful for everyone around me that's working hard to keep me actively in the pool so um thank you because the bay was getting very fresh yeah, you're not having to <laughs> swim with the whales down at Mentone anymore Unbelievable! I would, I would have passed out. I have been looking for you now that I know the swimming at Mentone, Rowie. I live a kilometre from that beach. I'll, I'll keep my eyes peeled. Are for you a regular swimmer these days, Rod? Oh, no, I'm not swimming. What are you talking about? Walking his dog. He swims like a rock. I'm walking my son actually. <laughs> Me and the little guy. Someone actually said that there was a dolphin the other day and it nearly hit them. If I see any creature other than a fat man in a wetsuit next to me, I'm gonna pass out. Pretty much every day I go paddling out there, the dolphins come and say hi. No. <laughs> you watch any out. creature that's moving other than a fat human, I'm gonna see. <laughs> All right, Docs, are you guys ready for your takeaways? I'm not. Oh, oh. come on, let's have a think. All right, All right. you guys have a <laughs> Because I'm looking at our run sheet here. Yes. And there's a very important thing on here that we haven't touched on. I was wondering on. if you were going to pick up on this. I think I know what it is. <laughs> Go ahead. In our script checklist, there's a, a section here that says Nike shoes with a question Ooh. mark next to it. Uh, You're the man here. Now, Roe, you need to understand that this is a man who wore Nike sneakers to his wedding, so... Oh, wow, you are fancy. At my, at my wife's suggestion, actually. <laughs> That's why I married her. Yeah. <laughs> so I read, You're holding a gun to her head. <laughs> I read somewhere, Rowie, that you like to pick up a pair of Nike sneakers every time you're overseas. Is that true? That was true until I had a mortgage. <laughs> so, <laughs> I used to, no word of a lie, every single trip I would buy a pair of Nike shoes. I was obsessed. I had a two bookshelves in my family, in my parents' house that were just full of Nike shoes. And my mum said, you know what bookshelves are used for? <laughs> shoes. And I was like, yeah, yeah, good one, mum. Um, but, yeah, since the mortgage, I have reined it in. Focusing your, your dime on uh, 
uh, Lego by the sounds of it. <laughs> James Bond Lego cars. <laughs> Mac Horton and I have fascinating discussions about Lego. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> uh, we'll have to have a, uh, a sneaker off. Bro, we compare the uh, collections. Yeah, you, rods rods have never been worn in anger, I can assure you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rodney, we're coming back in a moment with our key takeaways. <laughs> Dr. Mack, key takeaway. Oh, I think I got swept up in Rowie's little chat that she went on um, just about grasping opportunity, um, not being afraid to almost jump straight in um, and be a bit cheeky, um, just get in there and have some confidence and from confidence grows confidence. Rowie's always been one to put the work in to make sure that she's ready um, for a duel and I think um, the, the work ethic goes without saying with Rowie um, but she does lead with, with her work ethic and with um, confidence but cert- certainly um, being a bit cheeky and just taking the, the risk I think was, was what I took out of she's it. She's always been a bit cheeky, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Rocket? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's sort of along the lines of that risk-taking stuff. That the one that really resonated with me is that not having that fear of failure and really accepting that failure is a part of the, the journey. Buzzword yeah. alert, Bill. Um, no! You know, from... That's the wrong one, Bill. Wrong button. Jesus. Oh, <laughs> um, no, I mean, from the beginning, having a coach telling you, you know, don't be a passenger and being really willing to take risks from the get-go to, you know, coming back from tours and deciding I'm going to push the boundaries, see what I can do, having really no um, sort of understanding whether things might work or not and you might fall over and they may not go well, you know, to then having a potentially um, career-ending injury and really facing that head-on, knowing that, you know, you may not necessarily come out this the other side at all, let alone potentially the player that you were in the past, but sort of not letting that fear of not getting to where you wanted to be hold, holding you back, which it can often do. Like we, we do see that. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, I sort of reflect on Fiona because she was going through similar sorts of things at the same time and I was working really closely with her um, and sort of that was something we discussed a lot just that acceptance that failure is a part of it. But, and there's no guarantees. Yeah. yeah, there's no guarantees. And it's always, it's worse if you put in 100% and you can look at yourself in the mirror and, and know that you put in 100% and fail. It's always harder. So it, it is a little bit easier to, to leave 5 or 10% left on the table if you know that there's a chance that it, it won't work. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that just never was the case with you. Yeah. And it sounded like you learned that lesson really, really early. And it's it's... it's certainly held you in really good stead throughout your career. Yep. And, Rowie, mine is um, – it, it's a phrase that came to mind early on in this discussion was people are motivated by motivated people. And I think um, my observation of you is you get a lot from your environment because of your absolute motivation and commitment to what you're doing and, and people just want to get on board that. And I think it's a great, it's a great example for young athletes. And – you know, we've, I think we've been really fortunate tonight to dig into some really important themes for, for athletes as they're setting themselves up um, around taking taking control and sitting in the driver's seat. So, yeah, good on you, Rowie. Thank yeah, you for thanks, um, for being so thanks honest for and us. open with us. Um, 
obviously we will um, share through our socials, but hopefully now we can broaden our reach out into our water polo <laughs> friends. So um, you're going to have some creeps following you now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, look out we for this. Everyone. <laughs> look out for the uh, <laughs> upcoming episodes on our Facebook page, uh, Twitter, and we'll be back very soon Thanks, with Rowie. our next All the best. episode. Thanks, guys.